You're listening to Toe the Line, a podcast by me, Taylor Cleland. Here at Toe the Line, we're talking all things rugby union with a few other sports thrown into the mix, like league, motorsport, tennis, you get the picture. All while pushing the boundaries and making the world of sport more inclusive. I'm ready to use my voice to make impactful change in this world and I hope you'll join me. So let's toe the line together. Right, hi team and welcome back to another episode of Toe the Line. Um, we have got a very special guest on today. You guys have requested him a lot, so I'm very excited that I can get him on. Um, today's guest is a very well-known face in the rugby space, from being a player at provincial and sixth level to now being a coach and also a fellow podcaster. He's played professional footy in most corners of the globe, <laughs> having played for Tasman and Taranaki at provincial level. He played 54 games for the Hurricanes and also having done stints in Japan and Europe. His experience on the field doesn't stop there, though. After retiring from rugby in 2020, he seamlessly slipped into his coaching role with the Tasman NACO before he started his role as assistant coach with the Crusaders at the start of the 2023 season. And if all of that wasn't enough, he's also the host of the very successful podcast, What a Lad. Today's guest is James Marshall. James, welcome to Toe the Line. Jeez, Taylor, that is a very impressive <laughs> intro. That was a long one. You, you really went for it there. It was impressive well, stuff. I was- I was going to cut down on it, but I was like, no, no, got to give James as well, because you've had a very successful career, and I feel like you're only just really getting started, so I'm very excited to be talking to you today. Uh, thanks. No, thanks for having me on. I, I enjoy your work, so it's awesome. How do you, like, feel when you hear people talk about stuff that you've, like, achieved? Because I know from my athlete background, like, whenever I get into bed, I get so awkward. I just sit there, I'm like, can you just say it really quickly so I don't have to hear it? <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of, uh, I think it's still quite humbling to hear all that because you you obviously don't think about it very often. I don't consider myself like every day as a ex-professional rugby player. I'm, you know, I'm just a dad and someone who's coaching for a living. So um, when when you hear it all like that, it's pretty um, humbling and uh, does make you reflect on some of the cool times that you've had. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, well, we're going to get into everything that you've achieved and gone through as like a professional player and everything. But my first question, probably the most important question, is how are you? How are you doing? How's life going? How's the kids and how's the wife and the family and all that good stuff? Yeah, I'm a really good space at the moment. Obviously, um, pre-season's about to ramp up. So we're just starting to get into that sort of work now. But I've had yeah. an awesome off-season. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the first time I've had a real decent break from the game. Um, yeah, where I've just been able to just sit back and watch, do a little bit of work here and there, but um, spend a lot of time with the family, a lot of time with the kids, um, mm-hmm. which you don't get when you're in the in the washing machine cycle of a yeah you know, for sure season. You've <laughs> just constantly got things on. So um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it, giving me an opportunity to do a bit more podcasting as well, which is another passion of mine. So now I'm enjoying it. Yeah, and how are the kids? You've got the all you've got three kids, don't you? And they're quite young. Yep, seven, five, and two. Um, all boys. Um, just dropped them off at school <laughs> just before. And um, yeah, it's all go at our house. Um, we had a four-day weekend, teacher only day, then Canterbury holiday. So um, oh, nice. felt like we've just come from a big um, school holiday, really. <laughs> That's so funny. Now have to take a little break now, I'm assuming. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, back to work, having my break, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, well, I guess we'll just get straight into it. Can you talk us through, like, your early years of life before rugby and all the chaos of the coming after 
professional rugby player started? Like what were your early schooling years like, family life, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so I grew up in Auckland, um, lived there till I was eight years old. Um, at that time, I was playing soccer um, mm-hmm. and then moved down to Nelson. The whole family moved down to Nelson and um, yeah. all my friends were playing rugby down there. So I decided to make the switch. I always loved rugby, but um, I wasn't too keen on the contact side as a little fella. So <laughs> um, even when I gave it the first switch, I wasn't um, that good. And or to be fair, I wasn't very good at rugby the whole way through. It wasn't until... Um, later on in my college years where I really decided to knuckle down and try and give it a crack because mm. it was a dream of mine to become a to sort of make a living out of rugby so mm-hmm. um, whatever way that was like I was studying sports science and stuff out of school just because I wasn't sure I'd be able to make it as a player so I always wanted to be in rugby environments whether that was I don't know personal training or just being in the um being in the group so yeah um yeah and then things started to happen pretty quickly when once I left school made academies and trialed for age grade stuff New Zealand so um, I knew I was pretty close and then two years out of school I made Tasman and I was on my journey yeah cool and can you talk about um kind of those like early years like moving from Auckland down to Nelson what was that like you know I've I've moved around the country quite a bit especially when I was younger and I know it can be a bit you know anxiety ridden did you kind of experience all that were you quite young when you moved so I was eight years old but I I obviously remember the first day at school that was probably the most nerve-wracking one for me but I did have Mm. my brother there and sister there as well so yeah um, it wasn't too bad um but yeah, no, I I don't remember it too negatively. I always remember like meeting new friends pretty quickly. And um no, I, I loved my time down there in Nelson. It's such a cool city to to live and to grow up and um it's yeah. small enough but big enough and um yeah, had really good times there, really good memories and enjoyed my time through school and um yeah. Yeah, nice. I did, I did the complete opposite to you. So I was born and raised in Christchurch and then moved up the country to like Kapiti Coast and Tauranga than Auckland. And I know coming from like smaller cities going into Auckland, it was like a pretty big culture shock. How was it moving from Auckland, like the biggest city in New Zealand, down to Nelson, which is quite small compared to like most other major cities? Yeah, to be fair, like we were so young that we didn't really venture too much past our little main street down to the yeah. field and then back. So like, we're, like we would drive around or go to like Warriors games or things, events like that. But mm-hmm. um, we we're never really exploring, you know, like we were just, we only knew what we knew that was yeah. around us. So it wasn't too big of a shock for us at that age. We just sort of, as long as we had a park and a ball, we were, we were pretty happy. Yeah. Nice. Um, so around what age did you kind of start I guess feeling you mentioned that you kind of switched from soccer to rugby at a younger age. When did you start kind of realizing that you could take it, you could take being a professional rugby player to like the next level and you could like really chase it as a dream? Um, I don't think that was till later. Like my dream, I always dreamed of it from, you know, those real young ages, but Mm -hmm. realistically it wasn't, didn't really become an option till probably after school for me. Um, There was a moment where I missed out on that. Nelson College under 16, 18. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd been telling people I wanted to be a professional rugby player. So it was pretty embarrassing that <laughs> someone who thinks they're going to play professional rugby um, couldn't even make the A team for their school. So that was a real moment for me where I 
realize that man i need a i need to give this a really decent crack if i want to try and genuinely make this a career so um yeah i didn't get a i remember sacrificing my christmas present and birthday present to get a gym membership that year yeah <laughs> um, went to the gym um and uh because I was, I was so small i was skinny and coaches would always just say you're too you're too small you're not strong enough so i knew that was oh, the big no. thing that i had to work <laughs> on to to get into teams or start making teams mm -hmm. so that was the first thing i tried to do was get strong and get bigger and um, yeah, I, I realized that once that was all started happening, that um, I was starting to make the teams and um, things started to progress pretty quickly from there once I'd um, really knuckled down. Yeah, for sure. Did you have any like kind of people in your life, influential kind of role models that really helped you and like made you like believe in yourself that you could get there? Because I think it's one thing to like believe in yourself and believe that you can do it and know what you want to do and achieve. But I think sometimes having people outside of yourself also believing you is also helpful did you have any people like those in like your early years yeah obviously my parents were really supportive all the way through mm -hmm. um always were eating me on and um happy to help me get to trainings and especially my mom would always just drop me off at gyms when I couldn't drive or or trainings etc I had my brother yeah. who was um you know I was constantly playing in the backyard with him so we would we would go pretty hard against each other growing up and my sister was really supportive as well and then out of school Andrew Goodman sort of took me under his wing who was trying to make Tasman at this time he was a teacher at Nelson College and um, yeah. we were at the same club so we had a really good relationship and uh, he gave me a lot of confidence that I would be good enough um, if I worked hard enough and jumped in with all of his sessions and um yeah he was he was massive for me in the early years and even now like yeah. um he's a coach and he's helped me a lot throughout my rugby playing and coaching career so uh, he's been a massive uh role model for me yeah for sure so you mentioned you didn't kind of make those you know under 16 18s or anything did you play any first 15 rugby while you were at school yeah, so the following year after I'd done my um, big gym off-season program, I did end up making the first 15 um, at year 12, So, yeah. um, which was a little bit of a bolter. No one really would have expected me to make it that year <laughs> since I hadn't made the um, rep team the year before. And then the following year, um, just the growth of my game, I, I was end, ended up being captain. So it all, like I said, it all happened pretty fast once I – and decided to really knuckle down yeah for sure and then so you're out of school you mentioned you I read somewhere you went straight from school to Tasman is that true or was there like a little bit of a gap in between school and Tasman um I, I did one year with the Tasman Academy and I did the under 20 yeah. Tasman under 21s and then it was um the following season that I made my debut for Tasman so there was a year gap in between there yeah um which I definitely needed. Even when I made the team, I was still so raw. Like coming, like Nelson College wasn't a massive rugby school at the time. They're just starting to grow their program. Um, it's pretty mm -hmm. impressive now, but back then it wasn't yeah. um, a major rugby school. So like I didn't understand um, shapes or structures or, um, yeah, I found it really intimidating as a first five going into that Tasman environment, trying to, you know, boss some of these legends around and tell them <laughs> what to do when really I've got no idea what I'm trying to do myself. 
Yeah, for sure. Do you think going from like a school where it wasn't like a major rugby school and you probably didn't know really as much as maybe you could have going into a professional environment, how quickly did you have to like learn the ropes going into that Tasman squad? Yeah, like that's a that's a tough one because I felt like it took me probably longer than it should have. Like I reckon I was at Tasman for four years and even in my fourth year I was still like the the brand that we were playing at Tasman, I was still pretty um, loose. Like, um, mm. loved to run the ball, didn't have much, um, you know, like big picture game sense that you probably need to at that level. And um, that took me a little bit longer to work out. But I think that's yeah. all part of it. It's all part of the journey of becoming a um, professional rugby player, especially in a pivotal position like first five um, 100% <laughs> everyone always sees the young talent who um, especially when you see the young guys come through who can sidestep or you know fast whatever and yeah. um, a lot of it is those key guys how they can drive the game and how they understand the game and um, those little things that's why you see so many experienced um, first fives doing such a good job look at Johnny Sexton like um, being yeah. around for about 30 years and still still playing so, <laughs> uh, yeah it's yeah johnny six yeah 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 mentioning johnny johnny six and like when i think of first dives that come to mind who i think have been so pivotal in the game johnny is obviously one of them like he's been around for so long is he he's not retiring yet is he or is he i think he has retired yeah i think that world cup was <sighs> him done so um, that's so sad yeah. <laughs> i love watching him play he's awesome yeah he is he can play all right yeah. Um, you also headed overseas very early on in your career for about six months at the age of 20. You went over to Italy. What kind of sparked that decision for you and what was that experience like? Yeah, so I basically, I missed out on Super Rugby, so um, an opportunity popped up in Italy. So for me, it was a no-brainer. Like, it was either stay and play club rugby or have an experience over in Italy. I was still mm -hmm. living at home. I hadn't really travelled, so this was a real... Um, awesome opportunity for me I just met my um, girlfriend at the time now wife but yeah. we were only together for a couple of months and um, I just said would you be keen to come to Italy and for six months and let's yeah. go over there and see what happens and yeah, it was such a such an awesome experience um, real eye-opener obviously um, all the things in Italian life like obviously just the things like going to the supermarket and not being able to read what you're eating and the language barrier, driving on the other side of the road, learning to drive a manual for the first time, all these things. Oh for my me. God. Just like, um, yeah, real. Um, I had to grow up, grow up fast over there, but um, yeah. I got such good memories over there and um, enjoyed the rugby, playing against some of the best teams and players in the world. And um, yeah, coming back, I felt like I learned a lot from, um, from that experience. Yeah. How do you think playing over Italy, especially at the age of 20, like that's super young to go overseas. How do you think that impacted your game um, playing over in Italy and then coming back to New Zealand? Well, I think I learned a different style. Like um, mm -hmm. like I mentioned before, I was very um, run focused. Like I learned that there's different ways to play the game. Uh, <laughs> Italy weren't too kick heavy like some of the teams would play against, but like the Italians still had a bit of razzle, but um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me being over there was just um, growing up as a as a person off the field, probably um, getting that whole life 
balance sorted and um understanding what what i was trying to do or who i was trying to be so um yeah it was it was a real cool experience and like i'd recommend it to anyone to have an early experience short term and um see a bit of the world um and yeah like i said grow up a little bit and come back with a new new focus on what you want to try and achieve in in the game here yeah for sure so you come back from italy and you did another three years with tasman how much do you think you changed as a player especially coming back from italy how much do you think you changed as a player i guess like developmentally in those three years yeah like probably not as much as i should have i i still wasn't making super teams in those three years so um i still think a lot of it was that game driving stuff obviously i was playing I had my brother outside me. So I had some awesome, um, I have some awesome memories from those times, like playing with my brother yeah. and a lot of my good mates that I went to school with or um, played club rugby with. Um, mm-hmm. Some really good memories there. But um, yeah, obviously it took me a while to crack into super. It wasn't until the end of that Tasman year where I finally got an opportunity to go yeah. up to the Hurricanes. And that was in, at the same time, I had to move up to Taranaki as well. So um, that was the move for me to try and progress my career. And um, yeah, once I got to the Canes, it was it was an awesome experience up there. Yeah. I want to touch on like the timeline a little bit because you've mentioned it quite a bit. And I always find it quite fascinating because especially in New Zealand, it's a small country, especially with the NPC teams, we can see them quite close up and we can see their careers from quite a young age. And I always find it quite fascinating when people bring up time timelines and they say, oh, you know, you're in an NPC team and you should have like a breakout season and all this sort of stuff. And then it should go like NPC, like club NPC, super and all that sort of stuff. And like, there's a very clear timeline. Do you think sometimes that can be a bit of a hindrance to players because there is sort of like this unspoken pressure that once you get to NPC level, you should really be going for super rugby teams? Because I feel like, you know, you've talked about it quite a bit and I just find it quite fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, I think massively, like, because you're com- you're comparing yourself all the time as well, I think that's something as a player um, coming through the ranks, try not to compare yourself to guys and... Yeah. A similar age or um, position because you're always gonna it's not gonna do you any good to be honest you're always gonna mm. be um, disappointed because you'll see someone who's probably doing better than you um, or who's ahead of you and you're wondering why it's not you and um, you can get in that downhill spiral but um, it's a hard thing not to do you 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 come through the mm. age grades with some of these guys they're all playing super rugby they had been for sort of like I remember Dan Kirkpatrick for me who made the New Zealand 20s he'd He'd probably done four or five years of Super Rugby before I even got a um, got a crack. Whether that was right or wrong, like um, he he was an unreal player, but um, he obviously had to go overseas a little bit earlier. So I managed to. Mm. It was just the different timings, you know. Like um, yeah. he had his Super Rugby experience at the start from about nineteen to twenty four, and then I was probably coming in around twenty four and had it till twenty nine or whatever I went to. So. Um, everyone's journey is different. That's the thing I've loved from hearing on my podcast. Everyone's got their different journey. So yeah, just 100%. enjoy your one, embrace um, your pathway and um, yeah, keep, keep striving to make the teams, but don't put pressure on yourself to make it happen super fast or cause it yeah. is, it is one person's opinion. It's a, it's a coach's opinion. And I see that now being in the coach's room, it's genuinely 100%. just my opinion on a yeah. few things that, 
make or break some of these guys' careers. And that's that's hard um, when you know that to sort of understand how much of a um, decision some of these selections are. So, um, but that that's the reality of it. Everyone can't play and um, you've got to just choose who you think is the best person. Yeah, and I, it's always interesting because at the end of the day, rugby is a team sport, obviously. And, you know, you could be the best player in like a lot of opinions in a certain position, but depending on what kind of the whole kind of bigger picture is for the team, you might not be right in that sort of circumstance and you could get to these bigger levels. And I've talked to a couple of people where, you know, they've been really great through club level and NPC level and then they get to super rugby level and it's just really, it, like you said, it just comes down to like the coach's decision that it's not the way the team is wanting to go and they just don't fit into that starting 15 or starting 23. So yeah, I can't imagine how hard that must be to like have those sort of like players' careers in your hands. And it's just at the end of the day, they could be like one of the best players, but it's just not what the team is looking for at that kind of current moment. Yeah, and and that's a hard thing when you have to have those conversations with those players. And for me, it's just trying to be as honest as possible um, yeah. and just tell them how it is. But sometimes those conversations hurt because like you say, there's such small margins between some players, mm. like um, really hard to compare. Um, so yeah, it's, sometimes it's just going on gut or who you think potentially is going to have a bigger career. So, um, and you're not always going to get those wrong, uh, right either. So um, yeah, if anyone does miss out on teams, um, so it's so important to just um, keep backing yourself, um, stay positive yeah. and your time will come eventually if you keep working hard. 100% and I also think it's uh, it's got a lot to do with like the team environment as well not just the rugby you know you see it in motorsport as well like I'm a big motorsport junkie and you look at some drivers in Formula One or supercars and whatever and they can do really well in one team like Daniel Ricciardo for example he I thought he did really well at Red Bull and then he went to Renault and then McLaren and he didn't do so well and it's kind of like the same thing with like some players but yeah I always find that so interesting when different players go to different teams and then they do so well compared to being in other teams yeah and I, like you you spoke about there around being like what you do off the field as well and mm. it's such an important part of what people don't see is everyone sees the 80 minutes on the field but like some of the best players that are in the game what they do off the field is pretty incredible and um, I mean a couple of guys who come to mind for us who um, Richie Mwanga and Sam Whitelock yeah. obviously they're both leaving but what mm -hmm. those two guys did off the field throughout the week to make sure everyone was aligned and um, and and on the plan and on everything was was pretty special to witness for me as a as a first year coach at that level so um, yes, the great players aren't just the 80 minute um, players that you see, there's so much more that goes on behind there. Yeah, and there's this one little, it's not really a quote, it's just really a saying that I've, through like all the athletes that I've met, um, it's, you know, like good people, good athletes, in my opinion. And I was, you weren't there because you've only just started with the Crusaders, but I actually came down um, to the Crusaders HQ. It was pre-season end of 2018 so going into the 2019 season and I came down to share my story with the pre-season squad and um, I was able to do a beach session with them which I wouldn't recommend I had a near cardiac arrest when we did that beach session <laughs> that wasn't fun I was like why did I agree to do this um, but 
uh, I obviously met a number of the players, but you know, you talk about Richie Mwanga and he is just like one of like the most humble and nicest people I've ever met. And it's just so, you know, when I say good people, good athletes, Richie is like one of those people that come to mind. So yeah, it's always so interesting for me, you know, when you're in those environments as well. Yeah. And obviously you felt it like it's pretty special when you're, you're in it and you see it firsthand and um, get to experience those sort of moments. So yeah, that's pretty cool to hear. Yeah, for sure. Um, now I hate to bring this up, but you never quite cracked playing for the Crusaders, but you did get your shot at playing um, with the Hurricanes and you kind of joined their wider training squad in 2013. What was that opportunity like? And, you know, when you got the call up, what was that kind of feeling like, you know, you finally kind of got your dream of playing in Super Rugby. Talk us through those kind of early memories. Yeah, that was that was special. To be honest, I was a massive Hurricanes fan growing up, so I was obsessed with the Hurricanes. So <laughs> yeah. um, playing for the Hurricanes was always like a dream for me. I was um, a Christian yeah. Cullen fan, um, probably more than a fan, to be fair. I was obsessed with the guy and so <laughs> love watching love watching him and the, the rest of the Hurricane yeah. back line. It was um, – so to be actually called in and, um, yeah, a lot of the legends I've been following – pretty closely because I, I was a rugby nut like I used to I used to really follow it I knew everyone I probably knew everyone's weight and height and all that sort of stuff so I was going in there meet, seeing all these um, players that I'd idolized over the years for the first time and um, yeah it was pretty cool like see the Conrad Smiths and um, all these yeah. guys that you just like mess yeah massive starstruck straight away so um, yeah it was pretty awesome and then um, I didn't get a huge amount of I didn't play that first year, just got to do the preseason, but mm-hmm. I came in pretty fit and um, was pretty strong from like what I said before, like I had to, I had to get strong because um, there was always going to be a reason I wasn't selected. So um, I was fit, strong and um, yeah, committed. I, I worked hard and I think the coaches were impressed by that. So mm-hmm. um, went away that following year, played for Taranaki, played in some big games where we had the Ranfilly Shield and, I think had a had a game against Canterbury where I went all right, and then after that game, um, had a call from the coaches that I was full contracted the following year, so um, signed for two more years, and yeah, that was pretty much the start of my super career there. Yeah, and what were those first two years like being on a full contract like? Because I think you know being on a preseason contract or wider training contracts like it's always a bit different to those full kind of playing contracts. So what was that like? Yeah, it was awesome. I was just, I was loving being involved in the environment. Like, um, yeah, yeah. like I said, it was always a dream and um, to actually be in it was was so cool. I didn't get a huge amount of playing opportunities in those games. And when I did, I didn't really grab them um, like I probably should have. Or I look back yeah. on some of those games and wish I did certain things. But um, yeah, all good, awesome learning experiences. And then it wasn't until the following two years where I um, sort of cemented the fullback spot there um, mm-hmm. with Bodie at 10 and, um, yeah, managed to have a couple of really good years um, at the back end there. Yeah. What was playing with Bodie like? Because I can imagine that would have been pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he was he was so special. I, I love playing with Bodie. He was he just had the skill set that um, he could do anything, his anticipation, his speed, his fitness. Like He was always one of those guys that looked like he would always get the lucky bounce, but he'd put himself <laughs> into so many of these positions consistently that he was going to get them 
more often than not because he was just he was so um his anticipation was so good and his speed and fitness was um incredible and um yeah we had, i felt like we had a really good working relationship i love playing with him he's like i said his skill set his kicking game was just uh, on point and um, yeah. yeah awesome hearing that he might be signing for four more years here in New Zealand so that's a yeah I, I don't think many people were expecting that <laughs> nah, done well but his, his body's obviously in, still still in great nick and had a had a really good world cup so um yeah good stuff yeah for sure um you also had more than 40 appearances for the London Irish between 2016 and 2018 from kind of like your own personal experience, what was the difference or how did you feel the game was different between being played in the Southern Hemisphere here in New Zealand and then in the Northern Hemisphere? Yeah, that was probably the biggest learning for me. Like I'd come from the Hurricanes where we just won the comp and I felt like I sort of knew the best style to play rugby. Well, in my head I did. So yeah. <laughs> um, going over there and having to completely change the style that I was playing and a real kick heavy set piece rolling mall um type styled game I found really frustrating and I'd of, I'd often see space and um wouldn't have other people on the same wavelength so I've, I found it really mm. frustrating and felt like I struggled over there for a majority of it basically because I it took, probably took me too long to buy into how they wanted to play and yeah. how they wanted to play didn't really suit my style I was never a <laughs> really great kicker of the ball or um yeah just the yeah I, I never really enjoyed that style of play so um yeah I had my teething problems over there but I learned so much around the different styles and how playing in a different way can be effective and um I do think it definitely helped my coaching career and I met a lot of awesome people over there it was it was awesome yeah. to experience but yeah I I'd like I'd say that I definitely didn't um, reach my playing ability that I would have liked to have um, coming back from London yeah yeah would you say that it kind of maybe came down to being able to adapt or kind of not being able to yeah like you said you know you the style just didn't really suit you do you think it really came down to adapt adapting or what kind of do you think that main kind of niggle was for you yeah in hindsight if I was going over again I'd try and buy just straight into their system um not try and change too much even though I thought I was helping it probably wasn't helping um <laughs> and yeah and just sort of adapt and try and be the best sort of English fly half that I could be over there instead <laughs> of trying to bring my um I guess Kiwi mentality and um try and change the game which was never really going to work yeah, for sure. Um, you came back to New Zealand and played for a couple more years before retiring in 2020. Looking back on it now and like having the benefit of hindsight, how do you think you're kind of, how do you think you changed as a player over the years through, you know, coming out of school and playing those first three years for Tasman all the way through to like your last kind of games for the Hurricanes? I think the thing for me was that I understood the game really well at this point. I guess the hard part mm -hmm. for me was my body had pretty much given up on me. Like my, I was really struggling yeah. with my um, left hip at this point. So yeah, it was a real, um, it was a real tough one where you, I felt like I really had a lot that I could offer on the field. And when I was out on the field, I felt like I was probably more of a coach than a, than a player, just <laughs> um, my communication and um, things like that were a real strength, but I just couldn't, um, 
I just couldn't do what I used to be able to do um, with the mm-hmm. ball in hand or anything like that. I, I was struggling real bad on my hips. So um, that was really tough to go through, I felt, because, you know, you you want to play, you, you don't want to have to end it all, but, um, and you think you can add still something, but um, it's just such a grind to get through the week to the game and um, it's a real vicious cycle. So, um, oh yeah, I don't have, probably have the best memories of, those last two years just because I was in um so much pain and um yeah yeah I was I was starting to get over rugby I was I felt like it was becoming a real job whereas in those earlier years I was loving turning up to work it wasn't a job for me it was it was Mm -hmm. a dream and then towards that back end it was definitely a job like um I was yeah if I could have I would have not turned up you know but in those early years like I could I would have done it for free you know so yeah um yeah, I guess that was the struggle. Like, what would I choose? Um, I think the having the understanding of the game is I would have loved to have played a few seasons with having both, like still my young body, but um, <laughs> my old head. So, um, yeah. yeah, who knows what would have happened if I could have done that. Yeah, for sure. How I, I don't often hear a lot of, you know, players talking about it, but I think it's really important that you are. How would you, what kind of, how I guess frustrating was it to know that mentally you still wanted to play and like mentally you could be at your peak, like you know, you were performing well, you understood the game and all that, but for your body not to be on the same wavelength, how frustrating was that? Yes, yeah, it's, it's super frustrating because you want to do yeah. what you can to um get right and you spend hours I was spending hours trying to roll my herp every morning and every between yeah. every session just to just to be okay to get through the training and then you'd finish and you'd be instantly sore. You'd go get your acupuncture or dry needling and um, just to, trying to do everything to, you know, just survive the week. And it was, it was a fair yeah. bit of admin. You're starting to rely on, um, you know, like anti-inflammatories and things like that to get through. Yeah, and, um, yeah it's just a um, cycle where you like wish that your body can just sort of come right, but deep down, yeah. you know, it's probably not going to. Yeah, and there's only so much anti-flame you can use until it's like, then we've got to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You almost get, like, used to that smell as well. Like, anti-flame is a very specific smell. I know it all too well, so I'm definitely with you on that one. <laughs> um, Let's dive into your coaching role, and I always find it so fascinating when players so seamlessly move into coaching roles because just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach but for you it was the opposite like you were a very good player and I'd say you're an even better coach in my opinion um you pretty much went from player to coach without any real rest in between what was that like and what were those early kind of seasons with Tasman like in a coaching position rather than a playing position yeah it was a it was a really quick transition um and I did say, like, did you I, get I, any rest in between? <laughs> no, I gen- I literally went from um, having my hip surgery because COVID hit. So, yeah, um, I had my hip surgery, and then post the COVID break, when we came back, um, Carlos Spencer had left the Hurricanes. So, mm-hmm. um, Jason Holland asked me if I could take the take his role and take the backs just for, um, I think we had like five or six weeks left in Super Rugby. So, it was literally yeah. one week being a player to one week. Um, now now you're coaching the guys but I found that quite easy because Mm -hmm. I was driving a lot of that stuff anyway like I said I couldn't add a huge amount on the field but 
what I felt like I could add was um, around the technical, tactical side of the game. And always, like I said, I felt like more of a coach, even when I was playing than um, a player, really like just one of those water boys out the back telling guys where to go or what to do. And um, That was probably the dream role for me at that point. But um, then I, when I moved down to Nelson, um, decided to settle. I wasn't chasing the coaching dream because I didn't want to have to keep moving the family around. We'd move. You've, you've heard yeah. how many moves we've had. So yeah. a lot of those were with <laughs> Japan or Japan as well. So yeah. um, moving the family was starting to get tough. So we wanted to try and settle somewhere. And Nelson was that spot. And then Andrew Goodman, um, who was coaching Tasman at the time, asked if I could come in and help. And well, I asked him if I could um, do anything while while I'm in Nelson, still sort of rehabbing. So mm-hmm. the first year I just literally, I had no real role. I just was watching and helping out where I could, adding my opinion and little bits and bobs yeah. and um, saw how it all worked and learned off four really good coaches. So um, that was awesome experience. And then the following year I had a role coaching the backs and um, yeah, it all happened really quick and um yeah, I'm loving it. Like it's such a cool experience. Yeah. And obviously two years into my Tasman coaching career, I get the call from Razor. So that was the big <laughs> test on whether whether I'm looking to go down that coaching route or or not. So it was probably a harder decision than people would imagine just because didn't want to yeah. move the family again. But um, too hard of an opportunity to turn down, to be fair, like um, yeah. opportunity to coach down here with one of the most successful teams ever really and yeah Razor and Scott Hansen and Tumbody Allison and Dan Perrin like it's such a good learning experience for me and um yeah I'm so glad I did it because absolutely loved it yeah for sure so when when you get that call from Razor and I've also seen in like a couple of interviews you've done you said you didn't really quite know what it was about so when he asked you to come join the uh, like coaching team were you ever really gonna say no like did that ever kind of cross your mind like I just feel like anyone who kind of gets that call especially under those incredible coaches were you ever gonna say no or did it come across your mind to to, you know say no uh yeah it was probably closer than um you would imagine to be fair like I I wasn't gonna do it unless my wife was gonna buy in as well like (laughs) I'd said that I'd you know, she'd sacrificed a lot throughout my playing yeah, career sure. to follow my dream. And when I finished rugby, it was sort of like, okay, I've done my bit. I don't want to have to keep, you know, her having to sacrifice everything for me to keep following this rugby dream. So mm-hmm. that was the first thing I thought of, like, um, this is going to be probably quite a tough conversation. But I, <laughs> I did say to her, I, I won't do it unless um, you fully commit to it. And and, and we're all in it together. So, um, yeah, had, had that conversation. And um, after a few, you know, deep conversations, we got to the point where it was probably a no-brainer that um, we have to do that. And, um, yeah, we did the big move. We sold up in Marpur, which is a beautiful spot where we're all pretty happy and settled and, and moved mm-hmm. down to Christchurch. And we've been here for a year now. So, um, yeah, getting more and more settled every week. And, um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, your wife, and I think it's always, I always find it really interesting how pivotal, you know, those people at home that you don't really, you know, whether it's a wife, a partner, a mum or a dad, you know, I always find it so interesting how kind of the most successful people always have, 
you know, someone at home that's like their rock and is, you know, there, there for them when they come home. How, you know, pivotal has your wife been in your, you know, playing career and coaching career? Yeah, well, she's been massive. Like she's just had to yeah. follow me around, look after the kids, um, which is like you find out pretty quick. It's not an easy job looking after <laughs> three kids, especially when you're moving around and they're unsettled, et cetera. So, yeah, it's a, it is a fascinating um, part of a rugby player's journey. I had um, Kayla Aki on my podcast, which will be out next week, but um, yeah. it was fascinating hearing her go from, you know, being the star herself to then having to be that supportive mom and um, wife for, for Peter. So um, there, there's a lot to it. It's um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not easy not for easy. These, yeah. These, yeah. These wives or partners to have to move to a new location, especially when you can't speak the language and um, try and get by with a normal life with no support. And um, yeah, it can be tough at times. Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. How has kind of your experience been in this, like, first season with the Crusaders? Have you, like, what have you learned? How has it been? Have you found that, you know, the boys have been really receptive to your sort of coaching style and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I felt like it went relatively good. I, I realised how much I've got to learn. Like, I'm still so raw as a coach, like, learning the coaching art and um, how to get information across to these guys the best way um mm. is a constant learning for me like um I feel like I've got the knowledge but um, I, I've worked out pretty quickly that just telling them's not the way to do it so trying yeah. to get them to buy into or trying to I guess guide their ideas into a, a sort of mutual um decision and come up with plans together and making sure that they're really um yeah, they're re they they've really bought into what we're trying to run. I think that's really um, crucial for me. So, um, obviously, the first year went well. Like, um, got a, another championship, which was a great relief or um, a great achievement. Going up there to Waikato Stadium and playing the Chiefs, who were on fire all season, and oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> managing to get the the job done up there was was pretty special and. Um, yeah, hearing the boys all speak after, especially the ones who were leaving, what it meant yeah. for them to be Crusaders was all pretty powerful. So I learned so much that first year and looking forward to this season. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I mentioned to you um, earlier on that I was lucky enough to come down at the end of 2018 and kind of share my story with the squad and everything. And um, I've always... I've always watched rugby, you know, my dad was a Canterbury referee when um, we lived down there and all that sort of stuff. And so rugby has always been a part of my life. And the, obviously the Crusaders had such like a massive, you know, they're like probably one of the most successful clubs like globally in history. I'd be pretty confident in saying that, you know, when I was in that environment and I was, I wasn't as hands-on in rugby as I am now, I guess, but even kind of being in that environment back then, I seeing it firsthand and being in that environment myself and experiencing it for myself it really like solidified the like why they are so good and why the crusaders like have so many championship wins and all that sort of stuff i'm kind of wondering you know now that you've been in that um environment for a year have you also had that same experience of like kind of realizing why the crusaders are so good yeah, you, you you notice it pretty quick when you turn up, like the extra effort that everyone makes to make you feel welcome. <laughs> Excuse me. No, you're right. And, um, yeah, like 
um, the little efforts that everyone does, like it's, it's easy to talk about, but when you're in it, you feel it. And yeah. um, I think that's probably the biggest thing that you notice. And it's, I don't know how they've done it, but um, it is pretty special when you're in it. Yeah, for sure. Um, going into the 2024 season, now that Razor isn't there anymore, do you think we're going to see a new style of the Crusaders or do you think we're going to keep kind of, or do you think the team, sorry, we, I always say we, that's, <laughs> You're part of that's it. so bad. I need to stop doing that. But do you think kind of we, like the fans are going to see a new style of the Crusaders or do you think you guys are just going to keep building on what Razor has so like successfully instilled in that team over the years? I think it would be silly to try and start again. Um, I think it's just mm-hmm. building and constantly trying to look at the ways to start ahead to make sure that we're um, not just doing the same thing to get caught up on, but um, constantly looking at ways to start ahead of the pack. So, um, yeah, we won't be um, wiping the slate clean and starting again. And yeah. Penny's coming and he's been awesome so far. So really looking forward to seeing how how the season goes and looking forward to working with him and, yeah, I'm really excited about the season. I think we've got a great group and um, yeah. of coaches and players. So, um, yeah, looking forward to seeing where we where we end up. Yeah, for sure. Would you say that now you have the first year with the squad under your belt? Do you feel more confident heading into the 2024 season? Oh, definitely. I think that's only natural. Like last year, I went in not sure what to expect. Um, obviously, it's quite an intimidating environment yeah. in a sense when you're. <laughs> doing your first backs presentation you've got all blacks throughout the whole um meeting and you've got razor on the back watching you've got um scott hansen on the back watching somebody allison watching as well and you're just sort of not 100 percent sure what you're doing you've only coached for a couple of years so it's definitely um i definitely feel more confident going into this year and um from what i learned the first year and i'm excited to sort of put it into action and yeah hopefully grow again because i know i know how raw I still am so um yeah it's just about constantly learning for me and picking taking feedback and um keep trying trying to grow as a coach yeah for sure no I feel that on a very spiritual level because (laughs) I was a nine like people don't know this and I'm not sure if they even know this but my first ever talk was actually to the Crusaders preseason I'm not sure whose idea it was because it was probably the worst idea they could ever come up with (laughs) but I was like this 19 year old girl in front of like a room full of fully grown men like there were all blacks in there and I was just sitting there I was like I actually don't want to be here now that I'm here like this is very (laughs) overwhelming um and then I always I'll always remember this Ethan Black had stood up at the end of the thing and like was like I said thank you and everything and I was just in so much shock and I was I I can't even remember what he's what I said to him but he laughed at what I said and I was like I can't remember what I said that I hope I didn't like embarrass myself but anyway I get that nervousness (laughs) geez that's going right in the deep end though that that you've gone (laughs) I cringe I cringe every time I think about it because I'm like whose idea was that that was the worst idea ever yeah. Um, but we move on. <laughs> I need a redo. So if you can talk to anyone, I I want to redo because I reckon I'd be better now. But <laughs> okay, let's do it. Um, what are your predictions for the twenty twenty four season? What do you think we're going to see? Do you have any insider scoops that you can give us? Don't give away too much. But you know, what are you thinking for the twenty twenty four season? I'm I'm hoping another Crusader victory. To be fair, but I'm I'm expecting. Um... Why did I even ask? <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess anything less is probably a failure for the Crusaders now. It's um, 
it's it's at that point where um success is expected and ex- yeah yeah and you, we would expect that and i think everyone in the squad who turns up is coming here with the goal to win the competition and whether every team yeah, goes sure. into a competition i'd say most teams would say that but whether they genuinely believe it um mm-hmm. i wouldn't be so sure probably four or five teams are genuinely thinking they're a chance to win the competition going into this season and there's some really good squads out there i think the chiefs are going to be really hard to beat again this year um, the hurricanes have had a young squad for the last couple so i'd expect them to really yeah, sure. um, stand up a bit this year and be one of the top two or three teams um the blues will be there or thereabouts highlanders have gone for a really young young squad this year so um depending how that young talent stands up they could be in for a surprise sort of year but i think all the kiwi teams are in a pretty good space and um yeah what we saw from fiji and the world cup i was just about to say what do you think about the fijian drill because i think they i just have a feeling they're going to be another massive upset this 2024 season yeah, I, I don't think it will be an upset this this time. Like it was an upset last year, but I think everyone will be expecting it this year. And um, True, they're, they're yeah. <laughs> really tough. They're a really tough side to play. Like we we felt that over there, and we've got them over there again. Um, massive advantage for the, them when they play <laughs> when you play them over there. They're they're incredible side, um, and just the way they play suits the conditions over there, and they're used to it. Whereas our boys go over there and all sorts. So. Um, yeah, I, I expect them to be in the, t- the top eight again, without a doubt. And um, yeah, it's for awesome sure. for the competition to see them doing so well. It'd be awesome if they could push through to a semi-final spot even, or maybe a final, who knows. But yeah, um, hopefully they don't win it. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be Crusaders, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was it, just quickly, what was it like going over to Fiji in front of like a like packed Fiji home crowd, what was that sort of experience like for you? And the heat and everything. Yeah, so I was I was just running the water on the sideline, but even I was struggling in the heat to get my <laughs> bottles out there quick enough. It was it was a unreal experience. Like just the different conditions, like the fields, like it's hard under underneath, yeah. so the balls instantly slippery. Even though it's a sunny day, yeah, I don't think you subconsciously realize that the ball's super slippery until you catch it and usually drop it um and then the atmosphere from the crowds like they love rugby and it's it's pretty special to see like everyone how passionate they are when the bus turns up and things like yeah. that um you know you're gutted when you lose games like that but then you look around and realize how um amazing that occasion is for yeah. the Fiji fans and um i guess the loss sits a little bit easier when you see um what it means to people like that yeah for sure um let's switch gears a bit and talk about the podcast world or more specifically your podcast what a lad what made you want to start a podcast and how has that experience been for you yeah so i was coming to the end i just um, had my hip surgery so i knew i was probably done coming to the end of my career wasn't convinced i was going to coach so i was looking at other options to potentially do and I was loving listening to podcasts and thought there's a real yeah. space for podcasts and rugby. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to, I guess, share an insight into what the guys were really like off the field. That was the objective of it at the start. Mm-hmm. felt like they're always different people when you hear them on the TV or on the media. And 
was always disappointed <laughs> um, that no one was really sharing their personality because some of them are such good value and some have some great stories. So um, that was always a goal for me. And I didn't really have any plan other than just get through seven episodes and see where I got. If I was enjoying <laughs> it, I'd keep going. If if I was an odd stop. So um, yeah, I'm s- still going 200 odd episodes now. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. And it's just slowly growing, but um, yeah, it's been really awesome getting the feedback on the episodes and seeing how much it helps people or things like yeah. that or yeah what they get out of it is always really cool to hear and um yeah it keeps me going yeah for sure I think it's interesting you touched on um how you were always so disappointed about how I guess mainstream media didn't really give players the opportunity to get their like personalities across you know there's not really much time you know they're on the field for 80 minutes and all that sort of stuff and it's definitely been a recurring comment that I've got with kind of doing the content that I've been doing you know just stupid little question videos with like players and um all that sort of stuff so yeah I think it's really interesting that you've said that because it's definitely been something that I've found as well and people have been so receptive to all the different personalities you know my first ever player into the idol was was with um Naitoa Akoi oh. and I pretty much oh my god honestly it was like the best it was probably the best introduction to it because I think I laughed more than I actually like asked any questions but people <laughs> loved it and I think it's just so special that we're both in a position now where we can like give that to the fans because there's not really much out like of it out there yeah, well, he's a good person to start with, isn't he? He's an excellent <laughs> character. He loves it. So he also broke my microphone. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's it. And I think once you've got that trust, then players are happy to open up. It. I think that's the thing that the mainstream media struggle with is um, mm. as soon as you give them something, they will drag that headline and um, mm-hmm. in a way that's probably not um, that fair. And then. Yeah, yeah, as soon as that happens, yeah, you have to just not give them much. I even found that last year in coaching, like trying, I felt like I was trying to give an insight into what our um, what our week's like, and then read the article and had a had a word from the boss around can't be giving yeah. that much information just because the mm-hmm. way it read was was terrible and made the Crusaders yeah. not look good. So I was like, man, that's disappointing that I'm just trying to give yeah. um, the public a insight into what a coaching week was like and then it's just dragged across the media like it was and um yeah just had to learn that it's not a podcast and I can't um just give them what I think is the best answer I've got to really think about what I'm saying and be careful with how I word things yeah for sure definitely um how has it been like juggling the podcast and also being in a coaching position at the Crusaders have you found it difficult or tricky um, I, I basically last season, I tried to bank as many episodes before the season starts. So when I am coaching, I want it to be full coaching. Just, yeah. Um, yeah. You still get a bit of downtime, especially when you're on away trips and in your hotels and stuff. So there's still a chance to um, get a little bit of work done. But um, yeah, like I said, with just with the family as well, like when I'm in coaching, I want it to be fully coaching and family and the yeah. podcast so I'm not sure I managed to get two episode a one episode out every two weeks last year in the season yeah. so um I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do that again this year we'll see how I go but there'll probably be a loose goal to start and 
um, yeah, take it from there. But in that off season, like at the time at the moment, one a week's awesome and managed to catch up on um, a lot of guests that are on my list and try and get through them because there's so many that I just kept yeah. growing too. That list is endless of yeah. people who <laughs> I would love to get on the podcast. So, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think there's been like a favorite moment of the podcast so far or has it all been like pretty cool? Yeah, well, that's, that's a quick question I get a lot. It's like, who's your who's your favorite or like, who, what's the best moment? Things like that. I find it so hard because everyone is so unique and so different, has such yeah. a unique story. And sometimes I'll feel like maybe that podcast wasn't the best one. And then I'll post it and I'll get heaps of messages from people saying best one yeah. yet. And I was like, oh, okay. So they could obviously relate to that and everyone relates to different mm. episodes. So I think that's the beauty of it. Um, everyone having such a unique story. Um, no stories better than anyone else's it's just um, your story and um, some people yeah. relate to different ones and um, moments like that but I'm, I guess ones like Michael Fatialofa was a uh, one where it was really powerful for me like I played with him mm -hmm. and then for him to go through what he went through um, being paralyzed from the neck down was yeah. um, was pretty powerful for Crazy. me to hear and yeah. um that one was one that always stands out for me as one that gave me constant goosebumps when he was talking to me just around what he had to go through. So um, that's one that still stands out for me, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Do you think you'll get any more TV time on Sky Sports on the sidelines during games to get your cheeky plugs in? <laughs> do you think um, you're going to be sure. giving back to that <laughs> I think I'm probably going to be on the sideline again as a coach this year depends if Matt Todd <laughs> wants to do it um but yeah I might have to I might have to do a few more plugs for what Ladwin in those um, little 20, 20 minute um interviews or whatever 20 minute mark interviews so yeah um, yeah we'll see how we go <laughs> I actually had an idea. You could get people who are sitting like in the front rows of the stands. You could give them like some water lad flags or something. <laughs> and that's also like very good, like advertising, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll wear my hat and um, yeah, have some signs ready. <laughs> Just maybe I'll be, there. I'll be there. I'll be there with one flag with toe line and the other flag with water lad. And I'll just be waving them both. <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what's next for Waterlad? You know, you're going into the season. You've, I'm guessing you've got some episodes thanked. Um, you've got some loose goals around what you want to do over the season. Where kind of in like a dream world would you see your podcast kind of going? Yeah, I, I, I've never really sat down and had made real big goals around it. Um, I've had had media a meeting with MediaWorks last week, so um, there could be something oh, cool. there to sort of combine with them and sort of offload a bit of my work so that I can get the episodes out more regularly without having to do yeah. all the admin. Cause at the moment I am a one man um, band and um, it's a lot, isn't it? There's <laughs> a, a fair amount of work to it when you want yeah. to try and get clips and put it on YouTube and do all that. So um, yeah, there's, there's a bit of work. So if I could offload some work and be able to keep producing the content, that would be a massive win for me. So um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in that space, but um, hopefully something something good happens there. Yeah, cool. Um, now you did see that I put some. Um, I asked the kind of people on Instagram to send in their questions, so I'll run through a couple of those, and then we are pretty much done. Um, but you've kind of already answered this. But the first one is favorite all time gift on Waterland. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. Um, it's a hard one. <laughs> same question, same answer as before. Like, um, they're all yeah, very sure. good. But if I had to choose one, I'll go Michael Fatelofa just for the powerful effect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, thoughts on the twenty twenty thoughts on twenty twenty four and onwards for the ABs. Yeah, I'm really excited where um, the All Blacks are going to go. I think um, I'm looking forward to that coaching group working together. I've worked with all of them and um, five of the best coaches that I've worked with before and all of them in one room is is pretty exciting. And obviously there's some players who have gone overseas, but there's so many guys um, in behind who I feel like are ready to um, put their hand up in this next sort of four-year cycle. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be good times for the All Blacks going yeah, forward. For yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, any funny stories from the Hurricanes days? Oh, funny stories on the spot. That's, um, <laughs> I think some of the funniest moments for me were some of the pranks we used to do for the info committee. I've put a few of those up on my um, podcast, but um, used to, when got new guys were signed to the team, myself, Reggie Goods and uh, Mark Abbott used to try and prank all the new guys for content throughout the season for our info <laughs> committee. So um, some of those times were some of the funniest for me. Like um, I remember a few good ones and just <laughs> when they find out and um, their reactions afterwards are always something that cracked me up. So definitely. Yeah, that. for sure. Um, what is one thing you're most proud of in your playing career? Um, I guess being able to make a living out of it, make, make <clears throat> a living out of rugby. Like it was always my dream as a, as a kid to make a living from the game and being able to achieve that. Um, I look back on that and um, yeah, super proud of being able to do that. And I guess also throughout the, throughout the years, all the people that I've met, um, I felt like I was always someone who was, would put the team first and I've won team man awards for a lot of sides. And some of those are, um, I look back at that really proudly as well. Like, um, to be, uh, I guess, singled out as a good team man is something that uh, I look back yeah, on sure. really fondly as well. So, um, yeah, probably those few things. Oh, nice. And then this last one is one that I'd thought of, and it's what would be one piece of advice you'd give to younger James, knowing what you know now? Oh. Um, <laughs> Hard question a, to finish it off. It <laughs> is a good one. Um <laughs> I think um, gratitude is something that I'm like, I wish I'd told myself earlier, but I've uh, been grateful for what you've got, whether that, wh- yeah. whatever that is, um, everyone's got something to be grateful for, whether you've got hardly anything um, or, you know, um, there's always something yeah. in your life that you can be grateful for. And the more time you spend on being grateful, um, I just think the happier you are rather than, always wanting more um it's easier to look at the things that you don't have but um if you flip that round and have um spend more time on those things that you do have and i'm really appreciating them i think um you'll be happier in your life so that's probably something i would have told myself as a as a young guy and um, yeah yeah for sure well speaking of gratitude i'm very grateful that you've taken the time to speak to me today and i know that 
all my listeners are going to really love this chat because I've definitely loved it so much. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. That kind of wraps up the episode for today. And any last words for the listeners? Any last messages? No, thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. You've hosted that really well. So um, you're a podcast wizard. So looking forward to <laughs> following your journey in the podcast world as well. So um, I appreciate it. It's been awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you're listening on any of the audio platforms, make sure you follow um, and leave a nice review. Or if it's me, I just won't read it. Um, and then subscribe on YouTube and make sure you go follow James um, on his podcast and on Instagram at Waterlaid Podcast as well. Thanks, guys. <laughs>